Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You could do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. So today we wrap out this uh, three-part sermon series on the Enneagram. And uh, I have to say I'm sorry to all of you head people. I am going to be talking about the head triad, which is what we're in. But also, y'all, this is my last Sunday, and I just have some things I want to say to you. Um, not about the Enneagram, but about this journey of faith that causes us to grow in our capacity to love God and neighbor and self, and about all that we've done together under God's provision. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about the Enneagram, and then I'm going to reflect on this great work that God has created on the north side of Chicago. Because it's amazing. Yeah, thank you. And I'm going to need you guys to talk back to me because I love that. And this is my last Sunday. Okay? So let's start with prayer. Holy and gracious God, you have gifted us with the ability to live into the vision um, that has been placed on so many hearts for the ministry of Urban Village Church Edgewater. As we reflect on the last seven and a half years of my ministry and the, the lives that have been touched by your good grace. I give you thanks. Open our ears and our hearts to this scripture that I might speak truth, that I might speak of your love, and that I might cast a vision for what's next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have to start off by saying Pharisees always get a bad rap, do they not? Um, we tend to think of them as people who just don't get it or are too legalistic about scripture. And the Gospel of Matthew is particularly bad toward Pharisees. Um, it's partly because it's thought that the author of Matthew uh, was, was Jewish himself and, and was just like trying really hard to teach his other family members, the Jews, to know Jesus. And so there's this kind of, it sometimes feels, remember we've talked about this a lot in Matthew, like it's sometimes like there's a lot of hell and brimstone and um, because Matthew just wants his family members to get it. Uh, so it's kind of biased, especially toward the Pharisees. And we see that today. We have this legal expert. Um, I'm going to call him a lawyer. And he is trying to test Jesus. Actually, the Greek word is is the only time it's used is in Matthew is when talking about Pharisees and the devil. Uh, so you can see, again, Matthew's baggage here, right? Um, and so he's trying to test, or another interpretation would be to actually trap Jesus. He wants to trap Jesus. Um, and so I just want to say again, we don't want to interpret these passages as anti-Semitic. It's one family member frustrated with another family member, which is very different, right? Um, so anyway, uh, we see that he is trying to kind of pigeonhole Jesus or get Jesus to kind of mess up. Um, and we kind of think of the Pharisee often as combative. 
But I want to step back for a minute and see if something else is going on. I want to step back and, and actually hold this Pharisee with gasp compassion and see what's actually going on. Let's assume that this lawyer is doing the best he can with what he has. Isn't that all of us? Trying to do the best we can with what we have. And if we bring this Enneagram model into it, I wonder if his questioning of Jesus is really about questioning himself. And if all of this comes out of a great sense of fear. So let me back up in case this is your first Sunday and you're like, Ennea, what? Um, if I can throw that picture up on the screen. We have been talking, and this is a sort of personality test, a way to kind of think about who you are and also more importantly how with Christ's love, we talk about the journey of salvation toward freedom, authenticity, and wholeness. How, um, how who you are is not who you have to be, right? And so the first week we talked about, uh, there's three triads. The first week we talked about the um, body or the gut triad, and that's the um, eight, nine, and one. These folks do things out of great sense of anger. Anger is sort of their fuel for life. The next triad that we talked about last week is the, um, the heart triad. These are feeling people. Um, that's the two, three, and four. And they do things out of a great sense of shame. Shame is the primary motivating factor. And this week, we're talking about the head triad. And um, these are folks that do things out of a great sense of fear. So fear is their primary motivating factor. So this head part, you can see the number five, we often call the investigator or the observer, and they are um, people that the way that they deal with their fear is to be able to step back and, and kind of look at everything, right, and not engage in it. Uh, for sixes, we call them the loyalists, and they often are folks that, um, that the way that they deal with their fear is to allay themselves with an institution that they can trust since they do not trust themselves. And finally, the seven, the enthusiasts, you actually wouldn't think they're in the head triad because they're the kind of people that are like, hey, let's go have a good time. Um, they are the, like, life is a smorgasbord, and the way that they deal with their fear is by escaping it, looking for a good time. Um, so uh, if I were to take a guess, I think that this Pharisee, and we're not supposed to type people, but these people are dead, so we can, right? Um, <laughs> If I were to guess, and I need to make a sermon point, so uh, I would guess that this young lawyer might be a six, and he has put all of his trust, all of his fear, he has put in the certainty of Scripture, and trying to study it, and know it, and do the right thing, so he doesn't have to think for himself, he can just do what Scripture says. And so I think he is testing himself because he does not, he's testing Jesus because he does not trust himself. He doubts Jesus because he doubts himself. And I love the way that Jesus responds to this young lawyer. Um, he, um, we can turn that off now. Um, he not only responds to the question, but he responds to the need behind the question. Uh, so the question was about what is the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus do? He pulls scripture. He answers the question. It's rooted in scripture, the very thing that this, this, man, this young man needs. 
And he nudges them then to something bigger than the question that was asked. And I see Jesus do this over and over in scripture. This is, this is who Jesus is. Think about just the three weeks that we have spent on this Enneagram journey. The, the, the first uh, week we read the story about John the Baptist. And what does Jesus do? He starts sparring with John the Baptist. We think John maybe was an eight, the boss. That's like a love language to eights. They love to spar and debate, right? So Jesus meets him right where he is. Last week, we talked about the woman who anointed Jesus at Bethany. All she wanted was to be thought of as special and different, right? She pours this over, and what does Jesus do? He sees her, and he loves her, and he says, you have done a very good thing, and you will always be known and special for it. That is like exactly what a four on the Enneagram would want to hear, right? And this week, I see Jesus... um, Use scriptures, specifically Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 8. He uses scripture, the very thing that the lawyer has put all of his trust into, to answer this question and then push him just in a different direction. But the thing, the thing about the Christian faith is Jesus does not just do this in scripture. Jesus continues to show up and do this um, in our very, all of our lives. Right? We worship a God who has continued to do this in each of our lives. Jesus continues to show up and meet people right where they are and respond to the needs that are present and push people into a new direction. I have witnessed God's power and presence in each and every one of you. I have seen the way that Jesus has shown up in your lives. Each of you in this room today, including myself, are beautifully flawed creatures. Can I get an amen? And we behave in certain ways because of our anger, because of our shame, because of our fear. And Jesus shows up and meets us in that very spot of pain and vulnerability. And he calms the storm of our fears. And he offers a love to cover the shame that is there. And he casts a vision of justice and righteousness that satisfies our deepest anger. And out of that very holy, holy place, that holy place of grace, we are invited to move deeper in our love for God. Isn't that beautiful? Notice how this passage, in this passage, Jesus says to love God with your heart and your being, or maybe I call that your body and your mind or your head. That's the Enneagram tool that we've been using, right? This body, heart, head. Um, in it, in this Enneagram, we find where we're dominant. We, we end up in one of those spots, right? Head, heart, or body. But it is in Christ that we get to move and grow so that we are fully present in head, heart, and body. That's, that's what the salvation journey is, right? In John, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And as we grow deeper in this journey of faith in Christ, it moves us into this new way of being. As we grow day by day, we become the person that can love God fully 
with our head, our hearts, and our body. And where we can then, out of that love, out of that rootedness, be able to love our neighbor and ourselves. If I were to name my personal mission, it would probably be summed up in our scripture passage today. Now, my personal mission is different than UVC's mission, and you should think about what is your personal mission? What are you called to do? Something that only you can do. Our, our big mission at UVC, we read it every week, to create Jesus-loving, inclusive communities that ignite the city. And I am so proud over these last seven and a half years to have been part of that mission. And as I transition into this new role as superintendent, I look forward to continuing to watch you all live into that mission. I look forward to seeing the, uh, continuing to see the ways that you will create new communities, right? Not be stagnant with where you are, but create new communities. I look forward to seeing the way that you grow as disciples, particularly, particularly I look forward to seeing the ways that you lead the conversation around anti-racism work. We are an anomaly. And if we can model the vision that Jesus casts of, of, of a preferred future, a, a preferred reign where, where white supremacy is no more, holy cow, I look forward to seeing how you can continue to do that. And I look forward to seeing the ways that you continue to transform this city to more fully reflect God's preferred vision. Y'all are so strong and faithful at living into this mission. Amen? But I believe that each of us also has a personal mission. And um, the way that I've tried to live into my identity as pastor, and it, it has been a growth. I, I did not start out this way. You can ask Mary. I didn't even think of myself as a pastor to begin with. It's something I've had to grow into. The way that I've tried to do that is to create a place of nurture so that people could journey deeper and deeper into the love of God, neighbor, and self. Because they're so connected. Now, I didn't start out with this mission. Um, at first, I was just trying to get things organized, right? Like, my mission was, like, get people to show up to things. About seven uh, years ago, um, at this time of the summer, we were um, gearing up for this, like, four months of introducing ourselves to the Edgewater, or to the Andersonville neighborhood. Um, and we decided to capitalize on street festivals. So we rented a booth at Midsummer Fest, and it was before we did the button machine. That was a, you know, we just like passed out flyers and had a, um, uh, like, I think we did like an art event. We had people to do art. And it became so popular that all the sites are like, we're doing that. That's really cool. And then that July, we co sponsored an um, a, a ecological film with the Chicago filmmakers. Uh, which actually just moved up on uh, Ridge Avenue, so that might be a new, another relationship to continue to stroke. And then in August, uh, we did a beach cleanup and barbecue. This is awesome. And I was just like, come on, guys. I hope people show up. Just show up. And then in September, we did this backyard bash in this uh, Bethany Retirement Center. They had a green space, and they had said we could worship there, but I'm, I'm going to be honest. I was like, eh, we don't want to worship in a retirement center, but can we use your green space? Um, and then about three weeks before our stated launch date, we still didn't have a place to worship, 
And so I was like, we had wanted to worship up at the armory, but they have gay volleyball on Sunday mornings. And we, I know, right? And we did a sound test and we were just like, we're not going to be able to do this. It was too loud, you know? So about three weeks before launch date, we're like, okay, I guess we'll go to the retirement center. And, um, and it, it's kind of drab. You remember that like orange brick and the light blue curtains. And so I um, asked somebody I knew that did worship arts to come and see what, how she could, you know, how we could spruce up the place. And she suggested that maybe we hang some banners down and that we, there were these brown wicker dividers. We could paint them blue, like a nice baby blue colored pop. And so we went to the fabric store and we got all the materials. And the Thursday night before we launched worship, we stormed Bethany. We had spray paint and dowel rods and fabric glue and yards and yards of colored burlap because it was the cheapest thing we could find. We were on a budget. And some people worked on the banners. Do you, anybody hang up those banners ever? Where's Sam? I know, yeah, Douglas. Um, thank the Lord they ended up in the trash at some point. I don't know when. <laughs> but they added a nice touch of color. Um, some, some people made banners. Some people uh, worked on painting the wicker dividers. And uh, some people, thank the Lord, realized that we probably need sound and AV. They started working on that. Others looked at how we wanted to arrange the chairs. I learned something that night. Who knew that you shouldn't spray paint inside? (laughs) So in that moment, my mission was just to not get kicked out of Bethany uh, before we even had our first worship service. Uh, We sent somebody to the hardware store to get... um, rubbing alcohol, and we smeared the floors with blue all over, um, and uh, then I went and meekly apologized. My mission at that time really was to keep Bethany from kicking us out, and then they didn't, and my mission turned into, I want people to show up for this first worship service, and then it turned into, I want people to show up for the second worship service. I'm looking at Perry over there. And then it turned into, I want people to become a community. And then it turned into, I want people to grow in love of God. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger. So at some point, I realized that my mission was to create this environment where people could nurture one another And out of that nurture and love, people would grow in their capacity to love God with their whole being and to love their neighbor and to love, it's often overlooked, but to love themselves. Because what I have found in this church is that um, we we have a lot of people that, that were part of church at one point and have been hurt by their church neighbors. They've been told that they're less than. And uh, most often the example is because uh, some some queer folk come to me and they are so caught up in self-loathing because they've told they've not not been welcome. And so um, it's at this church where people have learned that you can come here in all of your queerness 
and be loved. Raise your hand if you're queer in something. And I'm not even just talking about LGBT stuff at this point, right? You can come here and be loved. And out of that place of safety, it's, it's like that metaphor of, of in, a, in a sailing, you're, you're in a storm and you just have to batten down the hatches and hold on. But suddenly the storm calms and, and then we just unbutton one of the hatches and another one. And suddenly we find we're in a place where not only can we love ourselves, but this community reminds us that, that God loves us. And then we're in this place of safety and we can say, God, okay, I'm here. So many of you have then understood your call to ministry. And I'm not talking about ordained ministry. We got, we got lots of those folks too. But to ministry. You've said, oh God, you, you called me in my baptism to something bigger and more. And it's out of this community that I get to do that. And so, y'all, we have come a long way we have, have come from being a bunch of individuals that accidentally spray paint, retire. and I know none of you were there, but you were there because we're the church, right? And it's to spray painting retirement home floors, blue, to now we are a community that volunteers to build steps for the Edge Theater. Thank you, Matt. We, are individual, we, we were individuals who were highly suspicious of church culture. Can I get an Amen. And now we are a community that is creating a church culture of love and inclusion and justice. We were individuals plagued by questions and doubts, and now we are a community that understands questions and doubts are part of our deepening discipleship journey. We were individuals young in our faith formation or no formation, and now we are a community of disciple makers that have witnessed multiple, multiple adult that Raise your hand if you've been baptized in this community. Yeah, look at that. They have been baptized and we have promised and witnessed dozens of children in this church family in baptism too. Thanks be to God. Folks, the journey isn't over, right? I am leaving as your pastor, but there is still more work to do. There are people who are still caught up in fear and shame and anger that do not know Jesus. There are people that need to know that there is a way out of the hell that they are living in. They need to know that there is a community that will love them and welcome them and, and change the world for them. They need to be shown that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. So the work is not over yet. I am leaving, but the mission of UVC still continues and your personal mission still continues. You are strong, church. With God's help, you are going to continue to do great things. I am so proud of all the work that we have done together. I am so 
proud to have called myself your pastor. And I'm going to miss that title. I'm going to miss being your pastor. But I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see what you will do in this next chapter of your life together as you enter the teenage years. <laughs> God is still at work and will continue to be at work in this community. Amen. Amen.